Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and I am not sure if I've ever been so excited to share one of the conversations uh, that I had for this podcast. Um, This week, I'm talking to Bruce Kittle, and Bruce is a... is actually a dad of a previous guest that we had on. We had on George Kittle, who played football for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And now you can check him out for the San Francisco 49ers. And he's kicking complete butt there and just scored his first touchdown as an NFL player. And if you look it up, man, he goes like incredible Hulk style and just smashes people. Um, But I met his dad, Bruce, uh, around the same time I was coaching George in high school and uh, Bruce actually was one of the varsity lineman coaches at Iowa City West when I was a freshman coach and so Bruce you know he always acted kind of as a mentor someone I looked up to was my first year coaching and he had obviously had a lot more experience in it and yeah I worked with him for a couple years and I mean just I still look back on that time and think about some of the wisdom that he shared with me even though it was like a really short time together i mean he sticks out in my life uh from all the people i've met as one of the wisest and he's always had you know such inspiration to pass along he was always the most positive guy he had a a good like he's a good role model as a family man as a dad as a husband as a football coach the way he interacted with high school kids i mean it was just awesome so when i first started the podcast i made a list of guests i wanted to have on and bruce was definitely at the top so i'm really really excited to share this with you i left the conversation literally fist pumping and i like ran up to my wife all giddy <laughs> afterwards and <laughs> And I just was reinvigorated. It was one of those conversations where you leave the converse, you leave the conversation and you just feel like you can take on the world. I was very pumped. So yeah, huge thanks to Bruce for doing this. And you know, I I just can't say enough how much I enjoyed enjoyed chatting with him and reconnecting. Um, all that being said, the audio quality at first is a little bit muted. Um, just our connection. Um, uh, it's not that bad. You'll still be able to hear everything. You'll still be able to pick it all out, but, uh, just know at throughout the conversation, it, the audio quality gets way better. Um, so, so yeah, you definitely don't want to miss this one. It's really, really probably in my opinion, one of the top like five episodes of this podcast if not in the top two. (laughs) So, um, yeah, check it out. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, you know, you can hear, you can hear, uh, Bruce's son, George talk on episode 22, I believe. And I'm trying to check. So I'm trying to stall right now, but George, when I had George on, I mean, it was funny, like how wisdom seems to be a trait that's just passed along. Um, from his dad because he dropped some knowledge on me and some advice um, about success that I have used to this day, uh, which was really cool. He talked about this reset button. He used to write an R on his wrist and after every single play, he'd hit the reset button and it would just remind him that he has um, the blank slate, you know, 
Uh, so when I was doing my ultra marathon in Monument Valley, I was hitting my wrist every you know few minutes and it would give me a boost of energy. So I'm like, all right, man, none of that stuff before matters. All that matters is what you're doing right now in this moment. Uh, yeah, so check that out. You can find all of our podcasts wherever you listen. Uh, iTunes is probably the best one. And if you enjoy it, it helps us out a lot if you go on and rate and review. Uh, just leave a little review. It could be like two sentences. No big deal. One sentence. No biggie. Um, yeah, so do that. Help us out. And you know we'll come back and keep, keep bringing you some awesome interviews. And I'm hoping and I would be so grateful in the future if I could chat with Bruce again. Uh, also, after the podcast, after the conversation with Bruce, um, I have something that I want to share with you guys, and I want to I want to read you something that one of my seventh grade students wrote that I just absolutely loved. So stick it, stick around for that. But uh, yeah, let's get at it. Uh, this is episode number fifty six with Bruce Kittle. Yeah, well, so I wanted to have you on the show. First of all, I think since day one, I made a list of like people I wanted to reconnect with and just use the podcast as an excuse to reconnect. <laughs> and uh, you were definitely uh, towards the top of that list. Um, so, so yeah, so thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's all good. Well, I appreciate that, Chris. And I always enjoyed my time with you, the short little bit that we had, but always appreciated you. So I'm glad to do it. So yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and then you know, in the last year or so, you started writing this blog on uh, is it it's brucekittle.com, dot com, right? Yep, yep. And you know, just your ideas that you've been preaching on there are just so awesome, and they just like kind of hit home with me. So, all right, well, I appreciate that. So it's good. I know, yeah, I don't know about that thing. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> anyway, we're. The work in progress. Yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to ask you a couple questions about you have this philosophy called like open windows. And, you know, I just, yeah. I thought it was such an interesting, interesting kind of analogy for life. So if you could share that, that'd be great. Yeah. No, I'm glad to do that. Like, are, are we rolling right now? We're, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I just, I oh. clicked, I started clicking record. Usually I tell people, I'm sorry. I'm working on okay. my communication no. skills. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I'm sorry. I should have taken it. Uh, well, so here's, I'm 58 now. I'm just kind of passing through things. And I've, um, my life's been a little bit, not up and down, but I've, I've jumped through a lot of transitions. Uh, and I think maybe more than a lot of people have done. Uh, at least many around me. I grew up with, uh, my dad graduated from Nebraska, took one job and 48 years later, he retired, you know, like that, and he lived in the same house the whole time, and, you know, that's kind of what he was used to, and I know the world has really changed, and I was probably at the front end of some of these changes. I think now they're talking six to seven years is a long time with the same company anymore, and they probably get shorter than that, but I don't know. Um, but So the open windows idea, at least, what got me thinking about it, um, in some of those transitions, when I've looked back on it, I, I guess the other thing I would say is, um, I don't know exactly where, but probably with kids, because I know you, we talked about talking about kids a little bit, but um, I think the child birth and beyond kind of leads toward a certain level of uh, intentionality, at least it has always done so with me, and it kind of pushed me in an effort to live, um, I guess, a life of full awareness, at least I try to be. So 
I try to stay in touch with what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling and what's going on around me and how I'm interacting with others. And I've kind of come to the conclusion, you know, most of life is about how we respond to it and the choices that we make more than really whatever happens to us because most of what happens to us, not entirely, but a lot of it, we don't have a lot of control over. Yeah. We, certainly, we can put ourselves in good positions and all that kind of stuff, but still life, you know, some of the stuff of life just happens to us and it just is and it's about how we respond to it. So anyway, the open windows piece um, kind of came over the last five plus years um, as I was thinking about things and in that kind of sense of self-awareness, it really occurred to me that through the different transitions I've had, um, and I sometimes I've taken some of those windows, and so the idea of the open windows is basically uh, as we travel through life, and whether you think the windows are traveling by you or maybe you're, I don't know, on a moving sidewalk traveling by them, I don't know, but um, these windows come, and the number one thing in my life that I've tried to do, the first thing is, that it's really important to be able to identify and see the windows and try to see clearly what they might offer or don't offer. Because um, I think in life, a lot of times, and I know in my life, I look back and in kind of a decade gone by or a few years or whatever, and I look back and I realize um, I had an opportunity, which is what I think these open windows are, uh, either to engage a person, to participate in something, to take a choice, new job, or whatever it may be, um, and I didn't even see it. And I think that's the worst thing that we can do as we're traveling through life is not to see the windows because then we give up the choice or the opportunity to make a choice about whether we want to take them or not because if you don't see them you can't make a decision and you can't grow or learn from them so I think part of it is that encouragement to live an intentional life to pay attention about what's going around you and try to see the opportunities as they come and I've really come to realize that really every person I come in contact with in my life uh, really has an opportunity to teach me something and I, I try to take that approach when I meet them, and I always think in the back of my head, my quest is to find out what the universe has placed this person in my life and what lesson they're supposed to teach me. So, but anyway, the open windows is that, and so I think if we're seeing them clearly, then we can make that decision. Then the second stage is trying to either have enough courage or wisdom or whatever you want to call it uh, to step through some of those windows sometimes, because. I, to me, and this is just my own philosophy, and again, this is not any way critical, and I don't mean like my dad, I think he was very comfortable, never thought he missed anything in life. And you know, 48 years later, there he was, and he loved being an engineer at John Deere, and that's what he did. And yeah. so, um, in my own life, though, that just, I just had so many questions, and I wanted to search things out, and I was kicking the tires, and lifting the rocks, and looking at things, and so, in those transitions, and I do know people, though, that I've been around, and they've always wanted to do X, Y, Z. They've had a dream about something, and they've never done it. And they never felt like it was the right time, or they felt like they might not be able to be successful, or they were worried about money, or whatever it was. And I, I feel awful about those folks, because I don't know. The one thing I've learned about jumping off the ledge is that it's never quite as far down and never quite as hard as you might think it is. I mean, there's a great quote I just read, and I can't remember actually who said it. A friend of mine, he's actually a UCC pastor in Madison, Wisconsin, that we work together. But um, it is basically the sense was that the number one most important factor in determining your success is actually making the decision to commit yourself to the choice you've made. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And the philosophy there is that once you make the choice and you invest emotionally and psychologically and with everything else you've got to something, that then the powers of the universe, whatever you like to think about, all those factors start to come to play and they actually fall in your favor once you make that decision. So 
and I, I know people that have sat by and watched life go by and not taken advantage of those opportunities. So at least in, we were talking about the blog and all that. So part of it is um, I got a, a little book stud, and it's not very little anymore. I'm just not sure it's a book. I don't know what it is exactly. But, <laughs> um, and and kind of what I've done is I've kind of worked through the different stages of my life, really going all the way back to elementary and kind of realizing that there were stages there and there were important people. So I've kind of broke it down to about the window that I encountered, what I did with it, or whether I successful in learning, what I learned, and then kind of who my heroes were during that time. Because inevitably, when a window works out for you, or even if it doesn't, there's some key players that are important to recognize. And I think that's the other piece, and I'm kind of switching over to the book a little bit, but I talk, working on these open windows, these stages, but I've had the good fortune about being around some very successful people uh, in their fields and a lot of different fields. And I kind of try to weave through the effort that I'm making about some of the things I've learned from them as they've gone through and their approach to life as well. And kind of hopefully try to work some of that into my own life as well, some of the decisions I've taken. But anyway, that's kind of the open windows notion and trying to stay awake, pay attention, um, see what's coming, and then, you know, be willing and able to maybe take a couple risks to try to pursue your dreams because I think the worst thing in life is to get to the end and wish I had a dream more and chase a few more. So anyway, that's at least my philosophy. Yeah. Is that a start? No, that's great. And you know what? I just I'm kind of realizing as you're sharing this, I'm like, yeah, I started reading your blog about a year ago as I started pursuing this podcast project. And that's maybe that's why a lot of it connected with me. Um, so I guess I want to kind of start like, you, you're talking about the very first step is just the awareness of being able to see the opportunities ahead in front of you. So why, like, what are some common reasons that people just don't even, aren't even aware of these opportunities? Well, and I think that changes, um, you know, from person to person. So I think sometimes it's, um, I don't know if you're familiar. So like I've done a lot of work with the Department of Corrections and prisons and jails, and I still do criminal defense work. So um, they have a cognitive restructuring program, but there's the kind of, they call it the change wheel. And in that, there's a system of belief, and they rate and evaluate, and these are for people who've committed crimes, obviously, and they're trying to work with them to make better decisions. Um, but there's kind of a precognition stage in that. And so you go from, and the first stage of precognition is that um, you, you don't even know you need to make a change. Yeah. You know what I mean? That you're just so used to your life and you're in your life and you're leading your life and I think this can apply to whether you're a criminal or not so I don't mean it just in that way but and so you're just kind of going along and it's like a fish being in the water doesn't know it's in the water and I think sometimes uh, people are just in that precognition stage that either from their family of origin or their religious background or their education or lack thereof um, they've just been fed a message and they've been told, this is who you are. You're X, Y, Z, and this is what your life's going to be like. There's a great John Cougar Mellencamp song, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a line in there where the dad is talking to his daughter and just tells her, be grateful to live an ordinary life. You know, she's a waitress. And there's nothing wrong with being a waitress, but she had dreams about doing other things, and her dad keeps telling her, you can't do that because yeah. of who you are and our family. And I think people get fed that message. And so I think part of it is that precognition and I, I talk to my clients all the time about um, sometimes you got a there's a tape in your head that keeps running and it's not a good tape. And there are voices that are telling you that you can't do things or have told you that you can't do things in your life. 
one of the first steps is to unplug and pull that tape out and throw it away. Yeah. Uh, because each of us has to be responsible for the tape and the message that's in our own head. And we can't let, whether it's your dad or a grandpa or an uncle or your, whoever, get in the way of what you think you are as a human being and what you need to do with your life. And so, so that's, I think, one of the big things is that is the precognition stage. Then I think, though, Chris, it gets into also, so sometimes people know, gosh, I, I want to do something else. I got to make a change. And I, I meet so many people that are absolutely just petrified of making that change. And so fear is just a huge part of that. And, and again, I, I go back and, um, and I, again, I don't ever criticize folks for being afraid because a lot of them have a lot of good reasons to be afraid. You know, they've never had a lot of financial security. It may be really fragile the way they're living. Uh, you know, they're just keeping their house and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, one thing I'll say is, you know, I was kind of a solid middle-class family growing up. My dad had a decent job forever. So, I mean, I always, in the back of my head, I was really fortunate. You know, I kind of always had a fail-safe for me if everything kind of yeah. dried up. You know what I mean? Yeah. In some place, you know, I, I could get a month's rent or something if I got tight or whatever. So, I, you know, I know that that was a privilege that I had, and I think that's part of it, too, is that between fear and just resources available to try to make some of those things happen. But I think sometimes, though, people overrate the level of fear that they need to have about things and i think people there's a lot more things that are possible than people want to believe so anyway i think those are kind of two of the biggest things that i see all the time is not seeing it because they've just been told they can't and they don't even realize it and then the other pieces they do see it um, but for whatever reason they're either afraid or choose not to go close to the edge and just never can imagine jumping off is it is it just kind of like the fear of failure and the fact that we're not used to uh, grit and resilience, is that part of it? I think there, that is a huge part of it. So, I mean, you know, our society loves success and winners and all that kind of stuff, but you know, Chris, I, I think that's such a huge myth in our culture today, is that, you know, the successful have always been successful, and that's not true. No. Uh, I, I've got, I got a neighbor in town, and he, now he's got about eight, I don't know, he's had restaurants all over town, but I, you know, talking to him growing up, he hardly had anything. He worked as a bartender, then he started cooking, and then he opened his own place. And like the first three places he opened, closed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he, he didn't know what he was doing. Um, you know, and now everybody looks at him, and he's, I think he's 62 now, and he's got these really successful restaurants and everything, but, you know, he, he has worked really, really hard, and he's had more than his share of failure. But the one thing I think people forget is that unless you try and you expose yourself to the lessons that the opportunity may provide, because even if I go and I try, and that time that didn't work, I'm better for it. I'm stronger. I'm enlightened to some extent because I understand the things I can do and can't do. I know my skill set better. Hopefully, I'm more trained and more prepared than the next for the next time. And I may tweak my options or my program or whatever it is. And the next time I try, it's going to be okay. Yeah. So, but I think that fear of failure—they just like they feel like it's going to be a stigma. Where I, I don't know what. To say to people that they've stayed in the same position, they've never taken a chance, and they've never exposed themselves to failure. I mean, think about the great home run hitters, right? I mean, typically their batting averages aren't that great because they tend to also be the high home run hitters, but they also tend to be the highest strikeout hitters. Yeah, they're taking like the most risks almost. They they swing for that damn fence, <laughs> and the, the thing about it is, you can't hit a home run unless you go to the plate. And what so many people focus on is that if I go to the plate, I can also strike out. But, you know, it's like, well, so what? Who cares? Yeah. Grab that, grab that bat, 
Learn how to hunt, get the helmet on, and go up there, and God, you might even get hit by a pitch, but you know what? <laughs> hey, you're on base. Yeah. Right? So who cares? So I don't know. I just I think that whole thing is such a myth in our society about all these really successful people, and I think what the world needs is you know people who are willing to take you know moderate risk, be a little bit more fearless, and just live out their passion. Yeah. Um, because I, I love being around passionate people. I mean, well, one thing I really miss in my life, uh, one thing I love about athletics and being a part of athletic teams is that there's this common mission and purpose. You know what I mean? Like, so when we were, you and I were at West High School, I mean, our deal was we wanted to win on Friday night. And everything we did was focused on preparing our players, getting them there and doing that. And I still, to this state in my life, there's a few things that have kind of come close, but nothing comes close to that. And I, I, that's something I really enjoy. And I like being around people who have a passion for what they do, they care about it, and they're willing to go out and put themselves out there to try to be successful. So, you know, uh, you asked the, in your question, though, you asked a couple, you said it's a couple of things about that feel of failure. And I think, you know, there's a lot of truth to being afraid of that. Um, the other thing, though, I've seen, Chris, too, is I think people talk about a dream a long time. And then I think in a, long, a lot of times, or sometimes at least, they are afraid to go after that dream because they're afraid if they actually accomplish it that it's not going to fulfill them in the way that they thought it might. Yeah, like the fear of success. Almost, yeah. I mean, so it's like, you know, I've always had this image, and it's, it's safer to keep that image as a dream than to make it tangible. Because if I make it tangible, you know, then what the hell do I do? Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I don't know. But what if it doesn't live up to my, you know, like you and I love climbing 14 is, right? But, I mean... What if I climb it and it's no big deal and I thought it was all home, then my dream is destroyed? I mean, it's not quite that simple, but I think there's sometimes that too. Like, living in whatever I've got, it's okay enough and I know what it is. And if I push over here, I just don't know what it's going to be for sure. And a lot of people I know, they just are really uncomfortable with uncertainty. And yeah. I think it's hard, it's hard to push yourself to grow and to learn and be on the edge of life in a way like that if you're if you need absolute certainty in your life because life is uncertain of, of all the things that it is it is uncertain so anyway i'm rambling on so i don't know no what no those are great so you know if somebody like is there a way to almost work out the being comfortable with uncertainty like do you think there's a way where you can practice uh being uncomfortable or failure. I mean, you're talking about sports, and personally, I think sports is one of the best ways to do that because you realize real quickly. Like, I just actually just recorded a podcast with a guy who attempted the 200 mile endurance race, and he didn't make it this time, you know. And uh, but you know, he's learned his lesson about the thing that stopped him, which was his feet, and is like, oh, okay, I learned my lesson. Like next time, I need to do this, and so I'm going to try it again. Um, you know, do you think sports has, I mean, for you personally, I mean, I know you were, athletics has always been a big part of your life. So has that taught you that and made you better at um, being okay with that? Uh, well, I, for me personally, absolutely. I mean, you know, Chris, at this stage in my life, I still work out pretty regularly. And I, you know, I, I come to, I experience life through a level of physicality. I mean, that's why I love climbing the 14 years because, you spend all day climbing that thing and there's a level of endurance and pain and kind of yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I, I like all that. Yeah. But, you know, think about a football practice or a basketball practice, whatever it is. I mean, no matter who you are, if you're on a team that's competitive, you experience both success and failure. And you're forced to deal with your limitations 
every single day because the things you can't do are the things you have to work on in order to be better. If I'm an offensive tackle and I can't pass that right, or I don't get my hands up on the punch, so you are constantly examining and working on your technique in order to improve. And so it just develops the process of self-examination. I mean, it, and you're just so vulnerable all the time because on film every night you watch practice, <laughs> you know, the coach there is, it's like you're still not doing your left foot right or blah, 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 and all that stuff. So I think absolutely athletics. And then, you know, I, I played football at Iowa and I wrestled at Iowa and I had the great fortune. I was, you know, always a backup kind of squad guy on the wrestling team, but I loved being part of the team because Dan Gable was the coach. And I mean, I've never met anybody in my life like Coach Gable just about, I mean, enjoying the intensity of pain and <laughs> suffering for, just for the sake though, of, I mean, the, in a way of establishing yourself as who you are. I mean, I may never win a national championship, but you know, I went through every one of those practices like every one of those other guys for four years. I mean, you know, he loved in the old gym at uh, the old field house at the University of Iowa, he had, you had to grab a guy of your own same weight, and we had these giant steps in the back that went all the way up, and they were six stories high. And we would do those until the end. Oh, my gosh. And I was a heavyweight, of course, and so I'm carrying a guy at 280, you know, and I'm like 260, and it's like, yeah. oh, my God. And so it was brutal. But I think, though, that sports do teach you about the perseverance that if you get knocked down, you can get up. I mean, yeah. over and over, I mean, I mean, he's that Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then what do you do? Well, if you get hit by Mike, you go down. But, you know, but the whole point of life is you're going to get hit. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter where you're at, you're going to get hit. You're going to get dropped to your knees. And that's okay. It happens. So the whole point in life is getting back up. There's that great, you know, in the last Rocky, right, when he's talking to his kid? Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that clip. It's a great clip. It's on YouTube all over. I've seen it. But, I mean... Paul Sylvester, I mean, he just puts it out there about his kid, and this is not who you are, and life's all about getting up. And I think that's really true, and I think athletics does do that. So I think your question, though, back to how do people teach themselves or get comfortable with being uncomfortable, I don't think there's any way to do it except identify things in life that you're afraid of and then go do them. Yeah. You have to, you've got to put yourself in situations that are difficult for you. And well, you just, you, you just got to try it. Yeah, well, and then you even realize, like, hey, what – I, I was picturing in my head what well, that was going to be so scary. Turns out it's never as bad as you're imagining it, you know? That's um, exact, absolutely. Yeah, so that's, that's, what, yep. that's awesome. So you had Dan Gable as a coach and Hayden Fry as a coach? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, was there any, you know, words of wisdom from Coach Fry that really stick out? I mean, I'm sure there's, like, thousands of stories and whatnot, but. Well, yeah, I mean, I think some of the lessons, I mean, you know, I, I, um, I kind of, when I'm working on my, you know, kind of walking with giants and a theory about these people that have been really successful, I always think they kind of have a business plan or a business model. And I try to identify the skill sets um, that they have that made them be able to do that. I mean, so one thing about Coach Fry, he had an unbelievable memory. And I'm coming to believe in my years that actually memory is more important than intelligence. And I think they often get, people think that they're the same thing, but they're not necessarily. But the ability to have immediate recall. So, I mean, Coach was, had the ability, he could meet a family one time in a recruiting visit and see him three years later, and he would remember the mom and dad's name. Wow. And it, it was just unbelievable. So, I mean, the one, we had that ability, and he was 
such a social person in that way. He was so good with people and shaking hands, and he just told nonstop the worst jokes ever. Like he had all these <laughs> corny, you know, Texas kind of hee-haw kind of country boy type stuff. But, you know, the thing is, he had a really clear image of who he was as a person and how he was going to project that out, and he was really good at that. So, I mean, I think those things about his memory, his social stuff and all that, I think made him really successful. The other thing, though, I think that Coach really did was that he was never afraid in the football world to do anything as far as schematically and on the football field that was required. So, I mean, if you remember, he came in 78, 79 to Iowa. And at the time, you know, of course, it was Ohio State, Michigan, and all that. And everybody was running the ball all over the place. I mean, his first year, I don't know if we had, I mean, it was like 50 passes a game. Everybody thought, what in the heck's going on over in Iowa? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But because we didn't have the horses to do that. And, and I think one of the brilliant things about Coach was he did a great job of identifying the talent he had on his team, what our strengths were, and then trying to, you know, use those strengths in a way. I mean, one of the coaching, I think, axioms that's so important is that if, as a coach, we put a player in a position to do something they physically can't do, that's our fault. I mean, why put a player in a position that you know they're going to fail at? Yeah. And so what we tried to do, and I think he did that, because when we first got here, now we had some pretty good players, because my senior year we went to the Rose Bowl, and almost all of those guys were, were on the team when first guy came. We just, you know, so there was a lot of tweaking, and we did a lot of other stuff, but uh, they all kind of made their mind up and got it done. But... I think he put us in a position, and we did things that really worked so offensively in that. And he wasn't afraid of what anybody else was going to say. And he was just absolutely fearless that way. So I think those are some things about him. Um, and he was also, I mean, I'm just saying now, he, he knew how to grind a clock too now. I mean, when you were on his staff, because I was on his staff before he was after that, um, Coach, you he, he, he work now, and he, he grinded. And um, so he, he kept folks motivated, I'll yeah. say, like that. But, but he did, and he uh, moved people, and he kept them moving and all that kind of stuff and uh, uh, gave him responsibility and then let him coach. So, so that was good, and I think, I don't know. And Coach Gable, I just think, you know, there's a, Gable has a, you know, when he was in the wrestling room and you were there with him, and he was just so physically dominant in his own ability. And, I mean, that was, because when I was there, he was still young enough, and he would still wrestle with guys and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, over the years, of course, you know, that, you know, he had both issues placed and all that kind of stuff that kind of left him. But... Um, he had such kind of a physical dominance, but just the kind of mental fortitude and strength that he brought to life every day. And just his absolute, you know, desire, burning, burning, burning desire to be successful. And the way in which he shared that and inspired his team to do the same thing. I mean, he just, he, he's like a, I don't know, a thousand moon bulb that you just can't pour or turn out or shut off or anything it just burns and it's like the brighter and the brighter it burns it's like the closer you want to get to it you yeah know I mean? because you want your light to shine like that too yeah you know and so he, he is just such a very inspirational person and so solid and loved his wrestlers and kind of guided with the firm hand in the same way that you know i think a little more different than coach i did but um but boy he was a he was a wrestler's kind of guy i think for the most part and everybody really loved him that way he's very inspiring and guys would just do anything for him. So anyway, what else? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I just kind of want to ask you, like, 
when you're do you how often are you like self-evaluating like hey am i living up to my morals hey am i you know uh keeping my integrity am i being the person i want to be like are you doing that every day every day or like you know a couple times a year or or what because you you've always you always have come across to me as like someone who really knows who they are and what you it's like you've self-identified like okay these are the things that are important to me and i'm going to act accordingly Right. So I would say on a daily basis, so I've, over the years now, I've kind of progressed. I used to run all the time and do that. I lift a little bit now, but not a lot, but I do a lot of hot yoga. So okay. I do that four or five times a week, uh, and I'll get back to that. And then I swim two to three times a week, and then when it's nice out, I, well, I ride bike either indoor or outdoor, depending on the weather. So I've kind of gone to those things. But, so, but I will say... Um, you know, I like the yoga stuff partly because of the mental aspect. In fact, the longer I practice, the more mental the yep. entire thing seems to me. But I, I would say um, I typically, you know, I've got kind of my core values, and I have those on a little card. I've got a little devotional book that I read. i got two different ones um, and uh, kind of switch back and forth from them. Actually, right now I'm going through something that my daughter Emma got into because she's a yoga instructor. So we're all kind of into the yogi thing now. And there's a guy, he's a big yoga teacher, but he's also an artist and he put together a deck of cards, but they're built on kind of the animal kingdom and each animal has this animal spirit and all that. It's like totems and all that. But anyway, but it's kind of a little different kind of devotional, but it makes you think about stuff. So okay. I can't do it every day. I can't do it every day because I can only process things so slow, but <laughs> Emma does it every day. But I do one a week and just kind of focus on the energy of that particular one just to make me think about where I'm at. It's a nice little contrast. But, so, but I think the core value thing is really important and just reflecting on that um, and then doing a little bit of the devotional. And again, it can be spiritual or not, but I think a little bit of quiet time each morning to kind of ground yourself, pay a little bit of attention. And I, I guess the two biggest themes for me, though, Chris, I, one is I try to live in absolute gratitude all the time because my life has been so unbelievably blessed. Uh, for the most part, I've been really healthy. I had the opportunity athletically to play at Iowa and do all those things. And I've been around some great people in my life. i got two really healthy kids. I've got a great wife. And so, I mean, I, everything's been pretty, pretty peachy keen for me. And so even on my bad days, you know, I realize that my bad days are like nothing. Yeah. Some of the people I, I dealt with. So I try to always, the grounding thing for me is about gratitude. And as long as I'm grateful and appreciative of all the things around me, Really, what else is there? You know what I mean? Yeah. So those things are really good for me. Now, I do, though, intentionally. So once a year, or else in a big transition, I do have, like, I do a formal kind of goal-setting process. So I go back and I review all my goals, or the ones I've had before, and I tend to do short-term, like six to one year, six months to one year, do a three-year plan, and then do a five-year plan, or five to seven-year plan. So kind of try to have some long-term stuff out there and just kind of checking in and then, you know, and was, I do those kind of in all different categories of life, so whether it's, you know, family, social, business, whatever. Kind of evaluate those things. Where am I at? Am I satisfied with what's going on? And then where do I need to change things? And then obviously if you have goals, you have to set up action plans to get to those goals. Yeah. And then you got to pay attention to those action plans. So I, I do that pretty formally once a year. And actually I'm just kind of, because I've been, you know, after, you know, I got let go at Oklahoma, and I love coaching college football. I have never found anything I love more than that. And, you know, and then just things worked out. I ended up back in the city and practice small, which is fine. I'm obviously I'm grateful for that position. But, you know, I've been kind of hanging around getting George out of college. 
and then he's graduating, got drafted by the Niners and all that stuff, so he's gone, and then I was kind of waiting on my daughter, and she got married, so, you know, that's, and so I'm kind of in this stage where, you know, where am I going now? So I'm kind of in that process of revisiting everything a little bit at a deeper level, so we're kind of working on that. But I do think that process is important. You can ask both George and Emma because I've made them do it for years. Yeah, that's what I was going to, that was actually what I was going to ask, like how much of these ideas, which I already know the answer, but I was going to ask how much you're pass- passing on to your kids, which... You know, after talking to George, you know, one thing that I really took away from that conversation was just like, honestly, it was just how much he respects and loves his dad. That's what I took away. And I was like, wow, man, like, I hope my kids when they're 22 or 23 are feeling the same way for me. Well, I feel really blessed by all of that. So that's always worked out pretty good for us. And I've tried to encourage and install without you know, being overbearing. So I'm sure they'd have stories about that too. But, <laughs> I, you know, when they got, we did, um, I think when they hit junior high, kind of late junior high, we started getting into high school. I've got kind of a three page little worksheet and kind of, and I wasn't too brutal with them, but I'd give it to them and say, let's identify stuff. And, you know, just as a way of getting them to think about stuff and what their long-term goals were. I mean, you know, we spent some time because when they were coming out, they both we're in athletics and we talk about what their goals were and what they need to do to accomplish that and blah, 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 and that stuff. So yeah. they're very familiar with the whole goal setting process and setting up an action plan and all that kind of stuff and reevaluating. So I've tried to share that with them in a way that, you know, and I think to some extent for parenting, I think that's a bit empowering because, you know, if your kid says, I want to be a first game all state linebacker or whatever, and then you talk to them about what you have to do for it and they list all the stuff they got to do and how much work it is, then it's their plan, and it's their goal, and their commitment. And yeah. So, and they, and then they, they're more committed to it, I think. You know, they, so they decide to go ahead and do all that stuff. Yeah, they buy into it, definitely. Yeah, yeah because they built the plan. So yeah. I think that's really important kind of at all levels. So, yeah, no, they've certainly been exposed to all that stuff. That's awesome. Well, hey, I don't want to take, take too much more of your time because I know you're, uh, you have some food for your lovely wife, so... So yeah, thank. Yeah, I'm parked out. I'm out, I'm out in the driveway. He's looking at me through the door. <laughs> I figured you were doing that. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, yeah. Bruce. Awesome. It was so good to reconnect. And there's where I accidentally cut off the last like five seconds of the audio. <laughs> so sorry about that. Sorry for the abrupt ending. Um, thanks again to Bruce. I mean, it was awesome chatting with you and and reconnecting. And uh, yeah. Hopefully we can we can do this again in the future. So and best of luck to George. Obviously, uh, if you're NFL fans, man, check him out. He's kicking complete butt right now. It's awesome to see. Um, and we talked to him before his combine. And if you check if you check out his stats from the combine, it was amazing. And it just shows you that hard work is gonna pay off. Is going to in some form or some fashion. It might not be the fashion you expect or necessarily appear to you how you were imagining it, but you will find some sort of positives about hard work. So if you're putting in the work, something good's going to come out of it. Sometimes it's not what you're thinking uh, when you go into something. Uh, so that leads me to, I wanted to read this to you guys. Um, so I'm back at work teaching seventh grader science, and I asked one of my kids permission to share his kind of like introduction um, paper because it just represents the idea of resilience and grit 
and kind of the growth mindset that we're trying to promote here. And I'm like, Psh, if a 12 year old can figure this out, man, we all should be able to figure this out. Or, you know, vice, like with this idea, if a 12 year old understands this at this point, like why, if I'm a 30 year old man, do I forget this idea sometimes? So let me talk about this. Uh, he says, I love golf. I first got into golf in 2015 after the Masters when Jordan Spieth, I'm not the golf guys. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but Jordan Spieth, Spieth won at 18 under and tied Tiger's record. The next weekend I was hooked. I spent two hours on the range just trying to make contact. I can relate to that part as when it comes to golf. <laughs> um, six months later, I played in my first tournament. I shot 134. Another six months later, I shot 118. Then I worked most of the summer of 2016. And in the fall, I shot 97. I worked all winter in my garage. And in the spring, I shot 83. Then in late summer, 82. And now I'm trying to break 80. Now, guys. Oh, and then he says, on another note, I love shoes. <laughs> But uh, but let me just kind of summarize this. I don't know anything about golf. I don't know if 80 is a really good score. I think it is. But the fact that when he started, he couldn't even hit the ball. And then his first tournament, he shot 134. I mean, he's seeing that improvement. You know, he is witnessing this idea of like hard work paying off. And obviously to him, Golf is something that's worth the hard work. And so when we start thinking about our lives and we're thinking about what's worth the effort, you know, what am I, what do I, what am I imagining in my life? What is a skill that I'm imagining that I, I'm imagining future Chris will be able to do. So you pick those out and then you start working with them and you realize going in, I mean, I'm sure when he, went to his first tournament. He didn't have delusions of grandeur about winning the whole tournament, right? I'm sure when he went to the golf course the first day, he was probably not going in thinking like, hey, it's going to be a piece of cake. I bet he was thinking going in like, I don't know how to do this, but I'm, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to go through the pains of failure and the failure cycle is what I call it. I mean, you got to fail. You got to fail at stuff. That's going to lead you to your eventual improvement. And I always say the obstacle is the way. So you got to understand going into anything that you're trying that's new. Obstacles are going to happen. You're not going to have just smooth sailing the whole time. You're going to hit that rough patch of sea. But at the end of the day, it's going to make you better. And it's going to actually bring you closer to your ultimate goal. And so I'm thinking about myself right now because I've been trying mountain biking lately and there's been literal bumps and bloop and bruises, right? I've fallen off the mountain bike. I've been frustrated. I've been exhausted. I've been cut up and scraped up and bruised and all that fun stuff, which could after a while, I mean, it could make you want to quit your goal. But every time I've fallen down, I've learned something from that where I'm like, oh crap, I can't go through like really loose sand. It's going to knock me on my face. 
Or, you know, when I'm going uphill, man, you got to keep that speed up because if you slow down and then you hit a rock, you're going to tip over. Things like that. So it's since I've fallen down, it's making me improve. And so the obstacles are expected and you got to embrace them. And this kid just impressed me so much. I loved it. I loved it when I read it because he's obviously has embraced the obstacles and he's obviously worked his butt off. He said he was in his garage in the winter shooting golf balls, working on a swing and it's awesome. So I love that. I hope to pass that along to you just so you know, wherever you're at on any goal, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're, you know, you're, you, if you, even if you're starting at the bottom, because everyone's going to start at the bottom, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you're keeping the forward momentum and you're going to keep working hard and you're doing the little things every single day. So chase after that. Uh, yeah, you guys rock. Um, come back next week. I'm talking to Jennifer Mabus, who is preparing to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, yeah, she was awesome. We kind of nerded out about through hiking and, and all that fun stuff. So all right, we'll get back at you then. Bye.